We're going to turn in our Bible tonight to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read together the first eight verses. Revelation chapter 21, the last book of the Bible, very easy to find, the penultimate chapter, chapter 21, and we'll read verses 1 through to 8. Reading, of course, from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Just before we read, at some stage, I'm not just exactly sure when, but I'm going to be able to bring the Geneva Bible that was purchased recently for a huge sum of money, and we're going to organize a little service around the Bible, not as a holy relic, but as really an historical artifact, because there's some things that we could learn and benefit uh, from that copy of the Holy Scriptures. I'll not go into that now. I'll be tempted to, but I'll not. Right, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Let's hear God's word. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his God, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this evening I'm commencing a short series of sermons based on the topic of the no mowers in heaven. I was recently reading through the LTBS quarterly magazine and really enjoyed the various articles, especially the ones that focused on the no mowers of heaven. And upon reading the magazine, it brought to my remembrance uh, a sermon that I had preached at the very start of my ministry here some 23 years ago now. And that sermon was based on the subject, uh, No More See in Heaven, uh, Revelation 21 and 1. And tonight I commence this mini-series and I want to deal with seven things that are not in heaven. And here's the first one. Look at Revelation 21 and 1 that says, And there was no more sea. 
Now, if you read the Bible carefully, you'll discover, as I've just said, there are seven no more, seven things that are not in heaven. And here's the first one, and there was no more say. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was upon the earth, he made a very remarkable statement, a literal statement, a true statement. Matthew 24, 35 is recorded three times in the Bible. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God's word is an eternal, abiding, living word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, it is forever settled in heaven. And one day this earth as we know it, and the heavens above, the heavens around the earth will one day come to an end. The second coming of Jesus Christ in power and glory will eventually mark the end of the world as we know it now. And after the last great judgment of the unsaved dead, Revelation 20 and 11, called the great white throne judgment, after God has judged and condemned the unsaved dead, and cast them into the lake of fire where they're going to be eternally punished, where they're going to be eternally dying, yet never dead. At that time, this earth and the heavens will undergo a structural and geographical change. The Bible teaches, and we've got the words of the Lord Jesus, heaven and earth shall pass away. Peter tells us that the elements will melt with fervent heat. And as it passes away in the fire of God's judgment, many things are going to disappear forever. And one of the things that's singled out for special mention is the sea. And there was no more sea. Think of the great oceans of the world that will disappear. Do you know that the planet Earth is also called the Blue Planet. That's a title adopted for the BBC series narrated by David Attenborough, who, by the way, is an agnostic and, and an evolutionist. But why call it the Blue Planet? Here's the answer. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered in water. Now, we live in a very technological age, and mankind has advanced so much so that we have had the technology to travel to the moon. We can send up satellites into outer space and record what's happening. We can observe gigantic telescopes to survey other galaxies. And what has man found out in all this discovery? He has found out this, that there's not one planet as any sea. No lakes, no rivers, no water, only one planet in the whole of the galaxies that make up the universe has seas, waters, lakes, and rivers. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered with water. That makes the planet Earth unique. All the planets in the solar system, there's no life. There's no wee green men. There's no aliens, but burning wasteland hurtling through space. Now, the sea is a fascinating part of the whole of the universe. If we think about the ocean floor 
The ocean floor goes from 2.3 miles in depth, stretching to the um, marina trench, the deepest part of the earth, seven miles in depth, 36,201 feet deep. And you know what the Bible tells us there in the book of Nehemiah? Listen to this. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou was made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. God made the sea. And God set the boundary of the sea. And many of us believe that prior to the flood, there was no sea dividing the land mass of the earth. The whole of the land mass was then surrounded by water. Now it's divided. Yet here the Bible speaks of a day to come, a time, let's read it together, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And that Brentia brought delight to John. He was in Patmos. He was the Alcatraz of the Roman world. And he was in this little island, 10 miles wide, or 6 miles wide, and 10 miles long. And it was surrounded by sea. And if you went to walk around it, you would see nothing but the sea. And he discovered that in the new heaven and the new earth, and there would be no more sea. You see, the word sea has been in my mind. The recent trip that we took before Christmas to the Bahamas and back, I was thinking of that little song, I, I do love to be beside the seaside. You love to be beside the seaside, don't you? Newcastle, Port Rush, Port Stewart. It's great for food, you know, the seaside. You can get fish and chips. Think of the fishing of the sea. Everybody loves a bit of fish. I love a bit of good fish. What about enjoying a time of recreation at the seaside? The scenery, the tranquility. You think of the trade across the seas with the divided landmass. You think of the energy that the sea produces. Do you know they even have a machine now called, a, I think it's a wave generator, and it can power electricity into our homes. So the sea is a fascinating part of the universe. But listen to this. In the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more sea. Let me tell you five things why. One, because the sea speaks of sin. You see, sin will never be permitted to enter into heaven in any shape or form or fashion. Sin is barred from the great city of God. None that defileth shall enter in. There's no sea in heaven because the sea speaks of sin. Wickedness, rebellion. Listen to the word of God in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 57, and in the verse um, uh, 20, we read this about the sea. Isaiah 57 and 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You see, the sea casts up. You go out to the seashore, walk along the beach. You'll see in the shoreline the rubbish that the sea has brought in. Tins and bottles and stones and timber and debris and seaweed. That's why we shouldn't be throwing plastic bottles or glass bottles into the sea. But you picture a sea now 
What's it like? Well, well, Isaiah says the wicked are like the troubled sea whose waters cast up mire and dirt. See, the sea casts up things. The sea cannot rest. It is forever turbulent. It's, it's deeply defiled in the sight of God. And Isaiah says that's a picture of the human heart. The wicked are like that troubled sea whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Over there in the Gospel of Mark and Mark chapter 7, the Lord Jesus himself said this about the human heart. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. If I read it to you, listen to the word of God. That which cometh out of the man defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And here's the state of natural man before God, an unconverted man. His heart is deceitful before the God of heaven. And God, he can look down into the depths of the ocean, even into the marina trench. And he can tell us all that's in there. This same God can look into our hearts. God sees that you're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. God sees the total depravity of man's heart. The will depraved, the understanding darkened, the affections diseased. He sees that we have no love or thought for God. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter about your background or station in life or where you've come from. Here's the teaching of the Bible. It's hard to accept. But it's true. We're all born in sin and shape. We're all born vile, hell-deserving sinners before God. The Bible talks about there's none righteous. The Bible tells us there's none that doeth good, not one. And here's the solemn message of the scriptures. We will never, ever enter heaven unless we confess our sin before God. Come to that place where we say, I have nothing and I can do nothing. And I am nothing to recommend myself to you. Isn't that where the psalmist found himself? In Psalm 32, and it tells us there in Psalm 32 and in the verse 5, the psalmist made this confession. I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think about that. Paul said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The publican said, Luke 18 and, and verse 13, God be merciful to me, the sinner. David spoke about blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. That, that means carried away. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. Let me ask tonight, do you know anything about that? Do you know anything about that reality? Wasn't it Micah talks about in Micah 7 and verse 19, God casting our sin into the depths of the sea, where sin has been carried away, covered over by the waves of God's grace and mercy. It cancelled out. You see, you'll never be in heaven until the sin question is dealt with. And tonight there's only one who can help sinners. 
One who died to just for the unjust that he might bring us unto God. One who died on the cross and shed his precious blood. And here's the message, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Can you get the picture of sin and see yourself? A troubled sea, cannot rest, casting up mire and dirt. There's a story told about a young lady who lay dying. She came from a Roman Catholic background. But she had read her Bible. She understood something of the gospel. And her faith and trust was in Christ. And the mother sent for the Roman Catholic priest. And he was coming with the intention of performing the last rites upon this dear lady. It's interesting the priest would have said to that dear lady, the church can do nothing more for you now look to Christ. But why not tell them that before they die? Or in the state or throes of death? But the lady took the priest by the hand. And in her dying moment, she muttered this. You're not my priest. I feel no nail holes here. I have only one priest. His name is Jesus Christ. There's a high priest over the house of God. And he came and offered himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin. He died an atoning death on the cross for you. He, he kept the law of God perfectly for you. He was the one sinless sacrifice that pleased to God and was acceptable to God. And here's the proof. God raised him from the dead. The resurrection, the empty tomb is proof that God was satisfied in his wrath and in his holiness and in his justice. There's no sea in heaven because the sea speaks of sin. Secondly, no sea in heaven because the sea speaks of struggles. You know, before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, and even after he came into the world, for many centuries, in fact, right up to 1886, it was a struggle to sail on the oceans of the sea. In 1886, a man called Willem Maybach he was an early German engine designer. He invented the first motorized book. Before that, to sail, say, the seven seas, as they were called, the oceans of the world, it was a very dangerous enterprise. You think of the fury of storms. Scary, frightening. You see, the sea is continually moving. It's unstable. It's constantly changing. It can be calm one minute and serene. And the next minute it can be stormy and scary. And even in that wonder of the seas with Royal Caribbean that Rosie and I and Miriam and Joanna were on just before Christmas. Even sailing between Orlando and the Bahamas. Certainly on the evening time when we were getting the dinner, you were walking along and you were, you were thinking, if anybody had seen me, I'd say, there's a man drunk. Well, well, I was as sober as a judge, but it was the sea. And even though that boat was 20 stories high, and it was, fascinating boat. Yet, that movement just reminded me of how scary and frightening the sea can be. I have to confess, I'm fascinated by the sea. The sea holds a big attraction to me. I can sit and watch for hours. But you know something you learn about the sea? It's never still. It's always on the move. Tide coming in and going out. And does not remind us of the struggles of life. Uncertainty. 
restlessness. Life can be calm and serene one day, and then it can be full of a storm and a struggle the next. I think of the sailors at the high seas. Calm one day, maybe for a few hours in the morning, and in the afternoon towards the evening, there's a big storm. Remember what the Apostle Paul experienced, because it's all here in the Bible. In um, Acts chapter 27 and verse 13 and 14, we read these particular words. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. It's wonderful the wee island of Crete's mentioned in the Bible. Verse 14, but not long after. So you picture them setting off, calm, serene. Not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eroclodon. And for 10 days and more, there was a storm at sea that was terrifying even the hardened and the most experienced sailors. Let's apply that to our lives. Maybe you're facing mental struggles right now. Maybe you're facing a physical struggle. Maybe you've encountered an emotional struggle. Or you're in a spiritual struggle. We sang tonight, I wrestled on towards heaven against storm and wind and tide. Now like a weary traveler that leaneth on his guide. I want to tell you, the sea speaks of struggles. Life is full of uncertainty. Life is full of change. And even though God controls the mighty waves of the sea, God allows struggles and trials and troubles to come into your life. And the scripture tells us, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. And for some, the struggles of life can come sooner or later. And life's journey, there could be a hidden danger driving down the road, and all of a sudden, there's a car accident. Or, or maybe in times past during the uh, troubles inspired by the devil using Republican and loyalist terrorists. Then people discovered they were in the midst of a bomb situation and their lives were gone. And, and some were left crippled forever and, and life changed. We've known many who faced the uncertainty, or really we could say the certainty of death. Think of the rich man, Luke 16. He enjoyed all the finery and luxury that money could buy. He had a big house and food and servants. He lived in a gated mansion. The Bible tells us the rich man died and hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Remember, God's people can suffer trials. There can be hardships in this life and tears. But in the world to come, in this place called heaven, we're traveling to a place where there's no more tears, no more trials and troubles, no more struggles in life. Remember what the Apostle Paul told us there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 and in the verse 17. He tells us this. Hebrews 4, sorry it's not um, uh, 17, it's, it's in the book of Chronic, uh, Corinthians. Um, wrote the wrong reference down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. This is what the word of God says. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4 and 17. I'll tell you something else. No more sea because the sea speaks of secrets. If you look at the context of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13 we read these words, 
Revelation 20 and 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. We'll pause there. You see, the sea is a place of many secrets. You think of the multiplicity of shipwrecks through war. Spanish Armada, for example, in 1588 against the United Kingdom. You think of pirates attacking a ship and taking it over and stealing its cargo and maybe even scuttling the ship and killing all on board. Or some incident at sea as happens in recent times and all of a sudden the ship is sunk and nobody can find an answer as to why. You think of that day when the sea gave up its dead. When the sea gives up every secret. You see, the sea contains many mysteries. And I have thought of this um, marina trench seven miles deep and thought, well, what is in there? There's much that's unexplained, much that's unknown, much that's unexplored. But here's the wonder. There's no secrets in heaven. There's no mysteries there. One day it's all going to be fully revealed. Remember, Jesus said, what I do now you know not, but ye shall know hereafter. We have unanswered questions. We have why and why not. By and by, the Bible teaches, we'll understand. Here's a fourth reason, because the sea speaks of separation. You see, years ago, people didn't travel by airplanes to go from one country to another. They traveled in the high sea by wooden vessels. When one of our missionaries was going away from the Belfast docks, he got on a big wooden boat. Hundreds turned out to sing, God be with you till we meet again. And there was a wave from the upper deck. There was a shout of goodbye. There was many as a tear because you realized that you were not going to see your loved ones again for years. Why? Because the sea separated them. It was the great divider. Don't we all know people, born again believers in different parts of the world? I could name some from Australia. I could name some from Canada, the United States, Africa, and Scotland, and England, Republic of Ireland. But one day, even though we're divided now by the great divider called the sea, one day there'll be no more parting. There'll be no more farewells. Because on that day all of God's people will be together. Remember what Revelation 7 and verse 9 tells us. Revelation 7 and 9. After this I beheld and know a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hand and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb. Let me tell you this little story. I want you to think of a father. He's on his deathbed. He's gathered his sons and daughters around the bed. And he's saying to each one, Good night. I'll see you in the morning. And there was one particular son, and he stood there with tears rolling down his face. He was the last boy. You know what the dad said to him? Goodbye, son. And the son stood there crying. And he said, but dad, you have said goodnight. I'll see you in the morning to my brothers and sisters, my siblings. Why have you said goodbye to me? And he said, son, you're not saved. You've never trusted Christ. I love you. I have prayed for you. But I fear that I'll never see you again. I fear you'll die and your sins will be lost. Remember what the Bible says in Revelation 20 and verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the boy broke. He knelt at his daddy's 
dying bedside. And he prayed the sinner's prayer. And he whispered to his dad as he held his hand, Dad, I've come to Christ. Dad, I've trusted the Savior. And as the dad drew his dying breath, here's what he said. Good night, my son. My lovely son. I'll see you too in the morning. Is it well with your soul tonight? Because the sea speaks of separation. There's a day of separation. There's a day when it'll be all over. And lastly, and our time is gone because the sea speaks of soul winning. And there was no more sea. I was inspired by this thought by listening to our brother Noel Shields preaching recently. And he talked about the sea. And he talked about the fishermen of the sea. And he was talking about the miracle of the big catch of fish in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. We thought about that this morning in the Sunday school uh, on the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias and the Lake of Gennesaret. It's also called Chinanoth in the Old Testament. But remember the Lord Jesus called the fishermen, Andrew and Peter and James and John, to be fishers of men. And that day when they launched out into the deep and let down the net supposed to let down the nets but it was only one net they let down and it began to break the net caught all kinds of fish and, and you see in the sea of time we are throwing out the gospel net through the preaching of the gospel here the outreach the children's ministry the, the youth work the, the, the track distribution the door knocking. Many, of course, reject. But some receive. But one day there'll be no more soul winning. One day there'll be no more opportunity to hear the gospel. One day the day of grace will be over. And, and the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and in the verse 7, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Paul says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And the only opportunity you have to repent and receive Christ is now. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed next week. I think of D.L. Moody sending the people home that night before the Chicago fire broke out. And he preached the word of God and told him to go home and think about it and come back next week and give me your answer. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And many who went out that night went out into the dark and perished in that fire. And he vowed never again would he send them out to think, but he called them to repent and receive Christ because that was the only time they were sure of. The sea speaks of soul winning. But the day will come when Jesus will return. The day of great judgment is ushered in. The new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no opportunity to receive Christ. And that day all of God's elect will be gathered in. And many will perish as they lived. Because they've chose their sin. Rather than the Savior. Here's five reasons tonight. Why the Bible says. And there was no more sea. And that's the first of the no mores of heaven. And you'll have to come back next week and you'll hear another one. And then 
at the end of the month.